What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Bitcoin and Markets. My name is Ansel Lindner. Today, we're going to be discussing the China-Russia alliance, the upcoming China-Russia alliance. Uh, Read an article about that that was out this morning. And then also talk about Hong Kong and how they are coming back into Bitcoin, probably in a major way. So we're going to read an article, maybe two, about that. Also, if you're listening on the podcast later, I always have to try to remember to say this, but all the charts that I talk about, if I do talk about charts and stuff, as well as everything that is linked uh, for the episode, you can find on the website in the associated post. Let's start with the Bitcoin chart. I did post this to Telegram as well. Let me zoom out here a little bit so we can see kind of where we're at. We're still slightly below this horizontal resistance that was formed from the August 15th high. Uh, We did peak out just above that to make eight-month highs, but uh, right now we are consolidating under that in what appears to be a rising wedge, not not a rising wedge, but a a, a ascending triangle, I guess you would call it, uh, with a flat top, uh, kind of a a pennant, except it's a a flat top pennant. And uh, that usually you know, breaks upward. And the continuation for this from a technical perspective is the height of the triangle. So this goes from 23,400 to 25,000, basically. So that is 1,600. So 1,600 from the top would take us to 26,600. But I do think this next move, if we do break out above this, I'm still expecting, um, you know, a fast repricing event similar to early uh, 2019. That is still the base case. I also wanted to take a look at the S&P 500 uh, because this does not look nearly as bullish as Bitcoin. And there has been, you know, over the last several years, a very tight correlation between U.S. stocks and Bitcoin. And stocks are falling out of bed a little bit this morning. They had an off day yesterday, futures only yesterday for the holiday. And now they're coming back in and, and they have a pretty big, they gapped down after the weekend, long extended weekend. And they have a nice red candle to the downside now down 1.6%. However, I will just have you guys note, this is a pretty big red candle and it looks pretty bad on the chart, but it's only at levels that we saw back at the beginning of February. So yes, we have erased 20 days, 21 days of bullish price action in the S&P 500. But overall, you know, we're not much more bearish than we were back at the beginning of February. So, and remember what happened at the beginning of February, the Fed raised rates. And the stock market went up. So this is one more thing. (laughs) I've mentioned this now in the last few live streams, you know, uh, liquidity conditions have improved. Um, Retail sales numbers have improved. Uh, All of these things, many metrics in the U.S. economy have improved. The the stocks are, were up before the last few days. We're up on the year, up big time from the bottom. They were up like 20% off the bottoms, off the lows. 
despite the Fed raising rates? I mean, why should we expect if the Fed continues to raise rates that they will actually have the intended consequences? It hasn't had the intended consequences up till now. So why should we believe that it will? Just because they are going to try harder? They're going to try harder to crash the economy and to uh, you know pull back on demand? No, I don't think so. What we're being exposed to here in real time is the fact that the Fed doesn't matter. The Fed does not matter. The economy is going to push around the Fed. The economy is the dog, and it's wagging the tail that is the Fed. It would be amazing, actually, if the Fed came out and just raised it 100 basis points because the market wouldn't even care. I mean, it probably would have a temporary dip, and it'd come right back. It would prove that the Fed isn't in charge. And this is also like Tom Luongo. He, they, they always say, oh, the, the Fed wants to raise rates to crash the offshore dollar market. Well, why didn't they just raise 500 basis points right off the bat? If that's what they wanted to do, why didn't they do that? Why didn't they go at two percentage points a pop and raise it all the way to nine, 10% if that's what they wanted to do? I, I don't think at all that's what they want to do. They slowly ramped it up. They went 75, then they slowly tapered it off. I think they did exactly what they wanted to do, but I didn't want to talk about the Fed here. Um, let's get into this first article. Um, I said what I was going to talk about, right? The China-Russia alliance in the Hong Kong getting back into dollars. But let's go to this first article. As China's top diplomat, diplomat visits Russia, Zelensky warns military alliance could spark World War III. After the weekend back and forth of warnings centered on the Biden administration's latest assertions that Beijing is mulling providing lethal aid to Russia in order to help the Kremlin execute its war efforts, Ukrainian President Zelensky has weighed in on the deepening Beijing-Moscow partnership. Well, I'll just say that the U.S. intelligence collection is very good. They probably know for sure that Beijing is wanting to get in, trying to find a way to get in to help Russia in their efforts. So if they're warning about this, they probably, they're not like saber rattling. They actually think that, that this is about to happen. And I also want to mention the whole thing about art of war. So you want to look tough where you're weak. Just think back with Taiwan and Nancy Pelosi. So Taiwan, remember, China was very adamant. War could break out if Nancy Pelosi goes to Taiwan. And so many people were worried about, why would this old 80-year-old lady go to Taiwan and start World War III, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, no, that they're calling China's bluff because China is trying to look strong where they're weak. They can't stop this. They can't take Taiwan. They can't, you know, they are in a weak position right now. That's not to say that the U.S. is in a super strong position right here. What they're doing is they're talking tough, trying to keep an alliance between Russia and China. Uh, well, it's already an alliance, but a outright military alliance between Russia and China from happening. And by talking tough, China's going to call this bluff as well. So anyway, let's continue reading. He warned that World War III, this is Zelensky, warned that World War III is on the horizon if China begins supplying weapons. Quote, for us, it is important that China does not support the Russian Federation in this war, 
Zelensky told German daily newspaper Die Welt. In fact, I would like it to be on our side. At the moment, however, I don't think it's possible. <laughs> yeah, you think? But I do see an opportunity for China to make a pragmatic assessment of what is happening here, he continued. Because if China allies itself with Russia, there will be a world war. And I don't think that China is aware of that. Well, let me tell you, Zelensky, China is much more aware of the situation than you are. You are a puppet of the West. Uh, you're a puppet of NATO and of Washington. Uh, you don't know anything near what Xi knows, um, even though Xi is somewhat isolated. But, uh, you know, the Chinese know exactly what's at stake and what's going on here. So anyway, let's continue. Likely China will shrug off Zelensky's proactive comments. You think so? Likely. I think it's very likely, uh, given Beijing already told Washington that it's in no position to make demands. Previously, Biden administration officials had said the U.S. is concerned by disturbing trends when it comes to China's support for Russia. Despite prior international media reports, mostly based on speculation, alleging that China was already supplying Russia's war effort in Ukraine, there is as yet no evidence of this. The timing of the accusations is also important given on Tuesday, China's top diplomat, Wang Yi, made his first visit as the director of the CCP Central Foreign Affairs Office to Russia, arriving, having arrived in Moscow. Good Lord. The day prior, he reiterated Beijing's position that negotiated settlement is needed to solve the Ukraine crisis. Quote, we would like a political solution to provide a peaceful and sustainable framework to Europe, Wang said, ahead of a visit to Moscow during a stop in Hungary, which could result in billions of euros of new Chinese investment in the country. I think it's hilarious that they're like, oh, yeah, they always build up China. Like, oh, yeah, billions of new investment by China into Hungary. Well, that's if Hungary wants that. And the West and the EU gives Hungary a lot of money. It's not like that China is the only place that is given money. I don't know. It just seems very uh, pro-China. They never miss an opportunity to say how much China is investing places. And But, you know, like I always say, it's not about the sum of the investment. It's about the quality of the investment. If you build a railroad or a bridge to nowhere, I'll just say that. I was going to say the go back to the Kenyan railroad. But if you build a bridge to nowhere, how valuable is that? Does it matter that you spent $20 billion on it? I mean, yeah, you pumped some money into their economy for a brief period of time, but you also misallocated those resources, right? So it all comes down to the quality of the investment, not the quantity of the investment. So anyway, let's continue on this. On Saturday, Wang emphasized something similar in addressing the Munich Security Conference. Calling a room full of European officials, dear friends, he said, quote, we do not add fuel to the fire. And we're against reaping benefits from this crisis in a message aimed squarely at Washington. What was supposed to be a bilateral meeting with Secure Secretary Blinken never materialized earlier this month due to the Chinese spy balloon shootdown saga. And then they are quoting a tweet here. Uh, we'll skip that. Some forces might not want to see peace talks to materialize. This is a quote from Yang here or Wang. 
Some forces might not want to see peace talks to materialize. They don't care about the life and death of Ukrainians, nor the harm on Europe. They might have strategic goals larger than Ukraine itself. This warfare must not continue, Wang added in the weekend comments. As for Wang's trip to Moscow, the Kremlin has said a meeting with President Putin could be in the cards, though this is uncertain. Quote, we do not rule out a meeting between Mr. Wang Yi and the Russian president. He will indeed be in Moscow. Okay. Now, what I want to do, I want to take this to talk about this nuclear threat. You know, uh, Zelensky saying, oh, there's going to be World War III. This means world war. And in today's day and age, that means nuclear war, right? I, I see three kind of possibilities here. One is nuclear war, all-out world war, like Zelensky says that this will lead to. I think that is very, very, very unlikely to happen. Um, the next possibility is a cold war. And this is what I think most people, their base case is because they default to a peer competitor, China being a peer competitor, and especially China allied with Russia becomes a peer competitor of the United States. I mean, it goes back to McKinder and the heartland theory. You know, this is uh Eurasian empire or not a, yeah, Eurasian empire because Russia would be considered part of Europe as well. So um that's a possibility, except a cold war kind of also has this like idea of bipolarity, um, two mutually exclusive hegemonic zones. And I don't see that materializing. I think there's going to be multi-regional hegemonic zones. So there's going to be, I guess I wouldn't be hegemonic, but a hegemonic within a zone. And you could have a zone of influence of the U.S. being the Western Hemisphere plus a few other countries like Japan. Um, you have Europe and North Africa, you know, the Mediterranean. So Europe's sphere of influence includes North Africa, the Mediterranean, and like the North Sea and the Baltic Sea and stuff. Um, then you have the Middle East, you have Africa, you have the Far East. Um, so these are all different zones that will have these regional powers. And in that situation, that is more like an era of power conflict, of major power conflict, not a hot war or a cold war, but just a constantly degrading international order, I guess, between relationships between countries and things. And in that type of environment that I think will dominate over the next 20 years, you'll have a decreasing amount of credit in the world. Um, and that will push people towards a new money. Uh, as Jeff Schneider, I think Jeff Schneider gets this right, that in a monetary shortage, humans go out and look for new things as money, right? And so if we have shrinking credit, we're going to be dominated by deflationary pressure and dollar shortage in the world, monetary shortage in the world, and people will go out there and look for monetary alternatives. Also, um, the breakdown in international trust, you need a neutral currency. And so that's another argument for Bitcoin. All right, so that's all I have to talk about for this one. Let's go into Hong Kong coming back on the scene in Bitcoin. And this is from Watcher.Guru. I've seen this Twitter handle, but I'm, I didn't know there was an actual website. So Watcher.Guru. And the headline is Hong Kong's, this is the Security Financial Committee or something, S 
FC. So it's the equivalent of the SEC for the United States looking to allow Bitcoin Ethereum retail trading. Hong Kong's Securities and Futures Commission officially released a statement on Monday chalking out its plan to allow retail investors to trade cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum. According to the consultation paper released, retail investors will be allowed to trade top cryptocurrency assets on exchanges that are licensed by the agency. However, such virtual asset trading platforms will have to keep investor protection in mind. This means they have to tick boxes including exposure limits, risk profiles, etc. So this is a big deal. This is reopening of China. Remember, China kicked out. They've had a mixed history with Bitcoin. They've banned Bitcoin. They've banned mining. Then they brought it back. Then they banned it again multiple times. Uh, they banned their banks from interacting with Bitcoin exchanges, but the Bitcoin exchanges over there had most of the volume in the world. Uh, then they banned all of that. So that's uh, kind of the mixed history. Now it looks like they're opening back up once again after it looked like they had turned their back on Bitcoin forever. Now it looks like Hong Kong is opening back up to allow trading in these major tokens. Uh, I don't even want to call Bitcoin a cryptocurrency. It's money. Uh, but Ethereum is you know a scam coin. So it's opening up to these two kind of options here. And I think that's mainly because they also have added recently, Hong Kong has, they've added the ability to get exposure to ETFs that are based on US futures. So this would be like CME futures contracts for Bitcoin and Ethereum. These ETFs now allow them investors in China to get access or exposure to Bitcoin through those type of products. Uh, so this is the next step. The, the multiple steps here are happening separated by a few months. So let's continue reading. Quote, in light of the recent turmoil and collapse of some leading crypto trading platforms around the world, there is clear consensus among regulators globally for regulation in the virtual asset space to ensure investors are adequately protected and key risks are effectively managed. I wish people would break this out and maybe they will start doing this, but you know, the risk is the exchange for Bitcoin. At least the risk is the exchange and the leverage. It is not Bitcoin. It's not that Bitcoin has based off purely based off a of Ponzi scheme. There is Ponzi scheme aspects to it, but there's Ponzi scheme aspects to everything. Unlike scam coins, which they aren't even going to allow. I mean, Ethereum is one, but let's say they don't allow any others besides Ethereum. So they're already keeping out the worst offenders um, and they're making their exchanges, you know, be licensed and hopefully have some oversight or not hopefully, but have some oversight. So there's less possibility of it being a complete scam. But I just wish they would break apart this, the risk that Bitcoin itself poses versus the risk of the exchange and the human aspect of all these businesses and these altcoin scams. And that's where all the risk is, not in holding Bitcoin. But anyways, of course, that would be nice, but it'll probably never happen. Other specifications, without mentioning names of large cap assets, 
that individuals be allowed will be allowed to trade. The agency clarified that they should be listed on a minimum of two acceptable investable indexes from independent providers. Notably, one among them should have had its feet immersed in the traditional financial sector. So like GBTC and CME futures, that would be a good one uh, for Bitcoin. The SFC, that's hard to say. I'm used to saying the SEC, highlighted that the consultation period will end on March 31st. It intends to green light retail trading in the new licensing regime for crypto exchanges. As reported earlier, the same is set to come into effect in Q2, more specifically June 1st of this year. According to the latest proposal, all trading platforms planning to apply for a license should begin to review and revise their systems and control and controls to prepare for the new regime. So that is a interesting article out of Watcher Guru. One more here also out of Bloomberg is Hong Kong plans to set retail sector to let retail sector trade larger crypto tokens like Bitcoin. At least they said Bitcoin in the headline and only Bitcoin. That is great. And Watcher Guru, are they part of this space? And they corrupted the name of Bitcoin by mentioning Ethereum in the same line. All right. Uh, City, Hong Kong, pushes ahead towards a goal of becoming a crypto hub. They should call it a Bitcoin hub there, Hong Kong Monetary Authority. Securities regulator issues a consultation paper on the plan. And this is coming uh, February 20th out of Bloomberg. So yesterday, Hong Kong outlined a plan to let retail investors trade digital tokens like Bitcoin, taking a major step towards its goal of becoming a Bitcoin hub in a policy shift that contrasts with a crackdown in the U.S., Ah, man, that is extremely controversial statement (laughs) Uh, or gray area. So the United States is not cracking down on Bitcoin and Ethereum. Bitcoin in general, they're not cracking down on Bitcoin. They're cracking down on scams, unregistered securities. You know, it's funny that they're coming from a complete ban here. But somehow they find a way to turn it around and talk up China and talk down the United States. Do you see the bias here? This is the second time I pointed out this bias, this pro-China bias. And was the first one from Bloomberg? No, that was from uh, Zero Hedge. But, you know, they found a way to say, oh, China's investing in Hungary or wants to invest in Hungary. And now they're comparing this, a jurisdiction with a complete ban that's thinking about reopening to Bitcoin for trading, not mining, not anything else, but they find a way to say that that contrasts with the crackdown in the United States when they're going after complete and utter unregistered security scams. The bias could not be more obvious here, people. People still want to build up China. People still want to believe in this China dream. It's over, guys. It's over. All right, let me continue. Individual investors would be allowed to trade larger coins on exchanges licensed by the Securities and Futures Commission. Oh, futures. Providing safeguards such as knowledge tests, risk profiles, and reasonable limits on exposure are put in place. The regulator said in a consultation paper on Monday, the agency didn't specify which large capitalization tokens will be allowed for retail investors. Hmm, Interesting. So they're just anticipating that Ethereum will be allowed. 
Instead, it said the coins should be included in at least two acceptable investable index indices from independent providers. All right, like I just talked about. The consultation period will end March 1st. Okay. Hong Kong, at the end of October, pivoted to a pro-crypto stance, part of a wider effort to restore the city's credentials as a financial center. Officials are aiming to learn the lessons of the last year's $1.5 trillion digital asset route and the spate of global bankruptcies like the collapse of the FTX exchange to create a mandatory regulatory framework that can woo firms to protect investors. It's pretty freaking simple, people. FTX was not a legitimate business. It's super easy to form a mandatory regulatory framework. Just go with what you have for equities. Just go with what you have for financial services. Just go with what you have for all this stuff. Apply the same damn regulations to all of these scams, all these centralized scam tokens that you would to any other fly-by-night Ponzi scheme. I'm not saying that's the best thing, but I'm saying you don't have to remake the wheel here. Like the collapse of the FTX scam, it wasn't even an exchange. I mean, it was an exchange, but it was the economics, the total part of FTX was just a scam. You know, it was leverage on top of leverage. And now they want to remake a framework that is going to identify these scams. Just freaking impose or enforce the laws you have on the books and the rules. That's the problem with the U.S. was they didn't, I mean, it's not a problem, but that's where the U.S. kind of failed here was that they didn't just enforce the regulations they had on their books. All right. The consultation paper didn't specify particular crypto indexes for a reference point for a taxonomy of allowable tokens. The onus would be on exchanges to monitor listed assets to ensure they qualify for trading by individual investors. So hopefully they don't just say, hey, oh, it's on Gemini and Coinbase. We can have it on Huboy, right? Whatever the Hong Kong exchange is. So I think it probably means it has to be some sort of listed product, like an ETF somewhere, a futures product somewhere. It has to have something like that. So you're not going to find these DeFi tokens on there. You're not going to find 99.9% of altcoins. It's going to be really... Bitcoin and Ethereum are the only two that really would qualify. And too bad it's not just Bitcoin only. The government has already allowed exchange-traded funds investing in CME Group Bitcoin and Ether futures, and this month sold inaugural green digital green bonds. Digital asset executives are increasingly being drawn to the friendlier policy stances of places like Hong Kong, Dubai, and Europe as a spate of crypto probes in the U.S. cloud the country's position as an industrial industry heartland. I don't think so. Maybe Dubai, maybe Dubai, but definitely not Europe. <laughs> definitely not Europe. They have MICA coming. Uh, Hong Kong, That's it's illegal in Hong Kong, man. Oh, Lord. It's just the bias is dripping off the page. Next bull run. Hong Kong's pivot could also open up a conduit to mainland Chinese investment if Beijing one day loosens the ban on most things crypto on the mainland. There you go, Beijing. 
the ban. But actually, no, it's like Dubai in Europe and the U.S. is so bad. Kyle Winklevoss, based in the United States, by the way, co-founder of the crypto exchange Gemini, tweeted Sunday that his working thesis is the next bull run is going to start in the East. Brian Armstrong, enemy of Bitcoin, chief executive officer of Coinbase Global, has alluded to Hong Kong as among the jurisdictions now leading in digital assets. Okay, I don't know how it could be leading. There's a freaking ban on. Justin Sun's crypto Huboy Global is applying for a trading license in Hong Kong. And he said on Monday, uh, we'll focus on international or sorry, institutional investors and high net worth individuals. Hong Kong's ambitions still face many obstacles, including a downturn in the virtual asset industry. Oh, God. That's seen thousands of job cuts. Crypto markets have only partially rebounded from 2022's bust. So um, this is interesting. Institutional investors and high net worth individuals. We've read many things on the show here about how these large banks like JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, investment companies like Fidelity, when they talk about the interest from these high net worth individuals and these institutional investors, they pretty much only mention Bitcoin. I think it's like 90, 90, 95% Bitcoin interest by these high um, institutional investors and high net worth individuals. There's no institutional investors and high net worth individuals that are seriously looking at getting off zero of NFTs. Okay. Or DeFi tokens or algorithmic stable coins or anything like that. So it's pretty much just Bitcoin. All right, that's where I'm going to end it for today, guys. Thank you for joining me. My name is Ansel Linder. This is Bitcoin and Markets. Check out bitcoinandmarkets.com for all of my stuff uh, to become a member of the show, support my work. Check out the telegram, t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. And you guys have a great day. Bye.